This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host for this week's episode, Paul J. Slee, filling in for the illustrious Mike Rappin, who is currently exploring the far reaches of the Savage Land, also known as New Jersey. Um, but I'm not alone. I am joined here at the I Read Comic Books Podcast headquarters with two patrons of the Double R Diner in Twin Peaks, Washington, uh, Kate Lamphere. Hello. <laughs> and Kara Shamborski. <laughs> I love that I understand that reference now. <laughs> yes, I did it for you. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, uh, fair warning. There might be a lot of Twin Peaks discussion inadvertently between Kara and I while we're talking about this no, episode. We'll try no to keep spoilers it spoilers for anyone. <laughs> okay, that's right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Forget I said anything. <laughs> um, but I'm so happy to be here with the both of you. Um, that way, anything that goes wrong while Mike's not here, it won't be my fault alone. I have backup uh, to help me out with all this. Um, and also, obviously, to talk about comics, we're going to have a uh, sort of freeform discussion for today's episode, talking about whatever we want, comic books, Twin Peaks, uh, whatever else we can think of, favorite teas to drink while reading comics, all that stuff. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but before we get started any further, I have two questions I'm legally mandated to ask both of you. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been good. I am waiting for the day when I can start putting my plants outside instead of them just being shoved <laughs> behind the couch and waiting mm -hmm. for my cat to knock them over. Someday I can grow my own tomatoes again. I'm only a few months away. Yes. That's and then right. that's all you're, you'll hear about on the podcast is my tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I recently read Heartstopper Volumes 1 through 3 by Alex Oseman. And Kara, I have to tell you that I paired this tea, with, or I paired this comic book with the tea, and it was white tea with cinnamon and pink peppercorns. Yum. And I drank this at 11 p.m., and then I didn't sleep because white tea has caffeine. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but this tea was like delightful and, and soft and comforting, just like this comic book is. Aww. Um and this book began as a webcomic, and then it was published um, physically, and it did really well. And I actually picked up volume three at Meyer, which is like like a Midwestern Walmart, but I like it better. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but I didn't realize that I was picking up volume three. I just grabbed this book. I was like, yes, Heartstopper is doing really well. It must be good. And now it's mine. So then I got it home and I was like, oh, no, it's volume three. Um, so I went to my LCS and I picked up volumes one and two. And I was just like, I hope this is good. Mm. Um, and it was great. Uh, 1010 would buy on a whim again. <laughs> <laughs> this book is about two British teen boys falling in love. And one of the boys was outed a year earlier and experienced some like really intense bullying, which the long term mental health effects of that are being like slowly unraveled through the series. And then the other boy is like just figuring out that he's bi and he's like trying to figure out how to refer to his sexuality, if that's the term that he wants to use and like how to come out to people who he wants to come out to. Like, does it matter to make some kind of an announcement or can he just like start holding hands with his boyfriend? Um, I did notice that in like a lot of LGBT plus stories, the characters are like already out from page one and understand themselves. So it's really mm -hmm. refreshing to see that there's like this whole process of self-discovery in this book. Also, this is really unique to me because in so many stories, you like the story ends when the romance starts. Like it's all it's all like the tension of are they going to date? And then once they start dating, it's over. Well, that's not this book. This book is about their relationship. And like the boys are figuring out how to communicate, how they feel about different things, how they want to interact with people around them. And it's so refreshing um, to see that difference in this story. 
And this is like, I don't know, it's a slow burn, but it's a really quick read. Like I read all three volumes in a day and a half and I didn't want to put it down. The The art is really unique. It's like it's two color and it's fairly basic. And um, I, I don't know, I get the strong sense that the creator must read a lot of manga because the facial mm-hmm. expressions are really clear. But mm-hmm. it, like you can tell what they're feeling, but it's through like this simple use of of kind of unrealistic line work sometimes. And then if something is uh, might be unclear to the reader, there's like this caption that just says what they were doing, like like an arrow pointing to him and like just came out of the bathroom or something like that. <laughs> and I'm considering that I read a lot of manga that just works really well for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like very clear. Thank you. <laughs> like, um, I understand this uh, visual language. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Heartstopper Volume 4 is is also out, but um, I don't have that yet. I have to go to MILCS and pick that one up and read it immediately. Um, and then Volume 5 is coming out sometime this year. It just says 2022 when I look it up. Um, but this is all available online. It's, it's available on Tapas, Webtoon, and Tumblr. And then there's a Netflix adaptation that is going to air in like two weeks uh, wow. on February 22nd. So great timing for me. <laughs> I got to get caught up before the um, before the show starts. No, it sounds really interesting. I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah their their casting their casting is really good. I mean, I don't know, like I haven't necessarily seen all these seen all these actors act before, but they look like I interpret the characters in my mind. So oh, gotcha. so it's live action, well, not an animation, right? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Well, yeah, another one to add to my ever-growing to-read list. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> that sounds great. So um, what about you, Kara? How have you been? How have comic books been? I would love to continue talking about adaptations. That was my unofficial <laughs> okay. mini theme for this gotcha. week. <laughs> All right. So the last time I was on the show, I said my upcoming picks were a few um, Chinese Don Mei stories, which is like a, a male-male relationship. And... I reserved some books from the library thinking that they were comics because they were published by Seven Seas Entertainment, which does do some comics. They had beautifully illustrated covers. And I was like, this must be a manhwa. Like, let's do this. I will try a different comic (laughs) book. And one of them arrived. And it was, in fact, the English translation of a web novel. So I was like, okay. So I lied to everyone of the comic (laughs) podcast, but let's see how this goes. And... Mm -hmm. I felt so hard for this trash story that I have now like halfway through the se- the first season of the anime, which is available on Netflix in the US. And there is a manhwa adaptation that I found. There's like a few of the beginning chapters translated into English. And then I ended up on the Chinese social media site Weibo. And I don't I don't speak any Mandarin, guys. I have no idea (laughs) what I was looking at. But they had like some of the later chapter um, images illustrated. So this is like, let me let me tell you a little bit about the world of heaven officials blessing. So volume one, that's the name of this this uh, web novel. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like if you've read. Any fan fiction whatsoever, you are familiar with the type of writing style that you tend to see in fan fiction and in some online writing where maybe the person who's writing doesn't necessarily have an editor, a traditional novel structure, a traditional three-act structure, no rules whatsoever. So 
some of this writing tends to be either like scene based or stream of consciousness. And it's it's just like the the traditional rules of publishing do not apply because it's usually just somebody writing something that they want to write and share with an audience mm-hmm. and not really making money off of it. But it appears that this particular creator, Mo Xiang Chong Chu, does make money off of this because they have three popular Don Mei series that have been translated and adapted and like all this stuff. So I assume, fingers crossed, she's making money. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. The the general plot of Heaven Officials Blessing is there's this uh the the closest I can think of of like an English equivalent is like this god named Shelian. And he's like a trash god. And I mean that <laughs> in the most <laughs> literal sense of the term he's like so this is i am i am very unfamiliar with uh daoist philosophy uh the philosophy and religion in china so a lot of this was like a deep dive culturally for me because the the english translation of this novel um, by seven seas does have a very helpful glossary at the back okay um where they explain like some of the um mandarin honorifics and diminutives that they use and keep in which Mm. i think does enrich the story and some of the cultural things that are mentioned that just went way over my head because I am not Chinese and I <laughs> did not grow up in a Chinese environment. So there's like a lot of historical, cultural, religious references that um, that are included. So this takes place kind of in like medieval China. And Shelian is a prince who ascended into the heavenly realm three times because he got kicked out twice. <laughs> And one time he was only in heaven for about 30 minutes before everyone was just like, get out of here. So he just has been spending the last 200 years bouncing between heaven and earth, basically. And he ascended for the third time. And your introduction to him is that he's such a disaster that when he ascends, he like causes all of this destruction in the heavenly realm. And like people like bells are following falling on top of people. Palaces are springing up where there weren't palaces before. And everyone's like this fucker again, like get out of here. <laughs> and the administrator up in heaven is just like, okay, you can fix all of this. If you earn like this crazy amount of merits by doing like good works on earth and getting humans to like, believe in you and all this so he goes back Mm -hmm. down to earth and he gets wrapped up in like a series of actually really well thought out like adventures with ghosts um and ghost is more like again that's like a really rough english translation it's more like what we would think of as like demons gotcha so it's Mm -hmm. sort of like a little adventure through these like chinese cultural ghost tropes that i wasn't very familiar with but are like super creepy like there's this one scene towards the beginning where he ends up going through this forest that's just full of corpses dripping blood so it's like a blood rain coming down because one of the most powerful ghosts just likes to fuck with people this way (laughs) it's like (laughs) so so it like there's like these super macabre gross scenes interspersed with shaylian being like so weirdly like nonplussed by everything that he's just so chill about everything that happens to him he's just like well Mm -hmm. you know this 
I, I just have the worst luck. So anything that happens to me, like, I know it's just going to be bad and that's fine. And it's whatever. Like the in the English translation, he literally says the word whatever when confronted with like the weirdest shit. So it's a really True. nice. It kind of reminded me of um, Hellboy in a way, because Hellboy is surrounded by all these like mystical um, gothic like abstract villains and his solution is to punch them so shalian's version is like <laughs> whatever this is fine it'll work out i'll figure it out um and so he crosses paths with this um mysterious guy who shows up kind of like after he's had an encounter with a mystery figure that he doesn't that everyone is like freaking out because they're like oh but he's like the major ghost and but like their first interaction was one where he was like, oh, but he wasn't so bad. He led me through the blood forest and held up a parasol for me. And it was really sweet, actually. And everyone's like, no, <laughs> he's the bad ghost. He's like, no, it was fine. He was fine. He didn't hurt me. <laughs> so like uh, right there, you know, like, OK, that's our ship. But then you don't actually see that ghost again for like a while. So it's like a whole like mystery slow burn while he's going on these <laughs> little quests to save humans from these demons the novel, I cannot stress this enough, is not well written. <laughs> it is not okay. Okay. Well written. <laughs> like I was sending Kate some texts of like the pictures of the most random passages where I was just like, "Who wrote this?" So it was fun for me to explore the adaptations to be like, "Okay, there are clearly good bones here. Like, there's good stuff here. It's been adapted in multiple formats. People really like this shit. Like, it's clearly worth exploring." So I'm going to keep reading, even though the writing style it like reads as a little janky for me. Mm -hmm. So looking at the pages of the manhwa that I could find online, which is the uh, comic book adaptation, the art. And uh, that is illustrated by a, I guess this is the person's username. It's Star Ember. Okay. Like the style is like these gorgeous manga adjacent watercolors. Like everything mm. is these lovely, um, like pale colors, like not quite pastel, but everything has this lovely like wash over it. So everything feels like it's slightly glowing, which is apt because you're dealing with a lot of characters who are like not on the mortal, the mortal plane. Sure. So just like glancing through that, it it didn't feel like perhaps like the best adaptation in my eyes, like looking at the art. I was like, oh, this art is pretty, but I'm not getting the sense of like movement and energy I would want for this kind of story that does have so much like this is lovely as a series of like fan art or like paintings. But to mm -hmm. me, it's not screaming great um, comic book story. But um, let but let me tell you about the anime because I can't stop watching it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do think um, the anime is the best version of this story that I've seen so far. Um, like I said, in the US, uh, you're able to watch the first season on Netflix. I'm not sure if they have additional seasons coming down the pipe, but um, just like, because like in the, in the novel and in um, the manhwa, they like start off by giving you, kind of like a lot of the backstory of the main character right off the bat. And there's like a lot of like prologue and exposition. And when you're trying to engage a new reader, that's not necessarily the way you're going to do it. But the anime starts right yeah. off the bat with like a bride getting murdered by a ghost. So you're right away. You're just like, okay. what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, and with, with any kind of like motion media, you have more of an opportunity for like, 
a long lingering glance with music playing in the background that tells you that this is supposed to be a romantic or wistful moment. So I just feel like with this kind of extremely slow burn romance, it like that's a medium that's really working for me. Gotcha. So that's (laughs) that's my current um, adaptation (laughs) obsession is Heaven Official's Blessing. Uh, Definitely. I would say if you're going to check it out, check out the anime. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't expect people to slog through the novel. I have now added both the comic book and the show to my my future plans. Amazing. <laughs> I will say that go. the and you know speaking of adaptations especially when you're going between cultures and languages, I've been thinking about subtitles and translations because in Mandarin Chinese there's a lot of kind of like Japanese, like there's these different honorifics that you attach to people's names or diminutives like or nicknames Mm -hmm. that we don't have a direct correlation with in English. In the novel translation, they tried to do like more of a literal translation or they just took an anglicized version of the Mandarin word and then had like a glossary note explaining what that was. And in the anime Mm -hmm. subtitles, they don't do that. So a really big example is Mm -hmm. like this mysterious guy who shows up to join our trash hero on his quests um <laughs> he he almost immediately in the novel starts referring to Shailian as older brother which in mandarin is something close to gugu and in the netflix english subtitles they don't even attempt to translate that as like this man is using a term of a f- familial affection with this other man they just use the <laughs> character's name and I'm like, you are removing so many layers of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. of subtlety, of nuance. Like, how dare you? But, uh, you know, if you're just trying to translate a story and you don't have the time to be like, footnote, in China, <laughs> in Mandarin Chinese, <laughs> right. this word means that. So, like, I get it, but I'm also mm-hmm. mad about it. Sure. I run sure. into Fair that enough. with K-dramas also. And, like, the different streaming services will have different attempts at... <laughs> At bringing the honorifics in, and <laughs> but it is like a noticeable thing that is missing from the translation in some way all the time. Right. No, huh. I do have one more adaptation to talk about. If you guys will let me continue to monologue for a bit, please. <laughs> yeah, please, please. Nothing but time. <laughs> you today. always yeah. recommend. You always recommend good things. So. Oh, I, th- <laughs> I feel that way about you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Kingsman. The Secret Service by Mark Millar and Dave Gibbons. So mm-hmm. I love the Kingsman movie so much, like so much, you guys. For those of <laughs> okay. you who haven't seen it, it's basically like James Bond, but make it posh and modern. And okay. it's it's from it, it, the movie came out, I want to say like 10 years ago now, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. And it was adapted from this comic book, The Secret Service by Mark Millar and Dave Gibbons, which I had never read until now. And mm-hmm. um, I finally sat down and read the adaptation because like, I love the first movie. The second movie was okay. Um, I'm sure if I went back and watched it, I would like it because what's not to like about bringing in people like Channing Tatum as secret agents too, but cowboy versions for the U.S. <laughs> counterpoint Obviously. to the posh yeah. British service. <laughs> and mm-hmm. most recently, again, one of the pandemic delayed films that was supposed to be like a big blockbuster and then just had a quieter release the king's man um hit theaters Mm -hmm. at and i think december and now it's streaming on hbo in the u.s 
that's kind of like the origin story for this non-governmental spy agency that basically is like, we don't think the government can handle this, so we're just going to do it on our own. And by the way, we're all rich aristocrats who have the money to throw at shit like this. <laughs> so um, so I watched the the prequel film and... I would say if you like the franchise, watch it. But if you <laughs> don't, it it's very choppy and they try to do a lot of like aristocracy is maybe not the best thing in the world. And maybe right. we shouldn't yeah. go to war all the time and maybe people should be equal. But at the same time, like the main character who's a duke, like works with his servants and they stay his servants like they're not <laughs> elevated, like the power structures don't change at all there's just like a lot of weird stuff where if you think about it for more than five seconds, you're like, that makes no sense. But right. that yeah. said, yeah. the ending was rad as heck. <laughs> I burst, <laughs> I burst out laughing at the climax because they do some very funny visual things that now that I've read the comic adaptation, I see that sense of humor in the comic book. So um, Kingsman, the, the first Kingsman film kind of opens with, the the like James Bond esque spy saving a doctor hilariously played by Mark Hamill from a okay. bad guy in the Swiss <laughs> Alps in like a chateau. It's super classic Bond. Like if you're a fan of mid century James Bond films as I am, this will feel very familiar. And so I I open up the comic book and the beginning of the comic starts out kind of the same, except it's actual Mark Hamill. As the person who's <laughs> okay. been kidnapped. So I thought that was a great touch to like have him just play a different character. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe you gotcha. got Mark Hamill, except I totally can. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, the in the comic book, Mark Hamill and his rescuer almost immediately die, which I which is not what happens in the movie, because they like right. plunge off of this snowy mountaintop. And the spy character is like, it's okay, I've got a parachute, it'll be fine. And so he reaches mm -hmm. out to, and you're you're watching this scene from the bad guy's perspective who are still on the edge of the cliff. So you're watching this snowmobile just keep plummeting down and it crashes. And then the parachute, which has a Union Jack all over it, deploys. And one of the bad guys just says, don't laugh. <laughs> so like, this is the kind of sense of humor that we're working with that mm -hmm. they do employ sometimes in the films um reading the comic in general i was kind of surprised by how mediocre it was <laughs> like for back <laughs> lack of a better term <laughs> this is like the, like the movies are so stylized and so mm -hmm. wrapped up in this like posh british aesthetic and like tropes that we know from like 60s spy stuff like james bond in the avengers series from um tv at that time everything's very like slick and um you know there's all these like training montages for the spies and you get that inter interstitch with like the bad guy and his plans and all that and what's going on and so it's just like this nice building of dramatic tension a very clear aesthetic like it feels comic booky but in a good way so i was kind of expecting mm -hmm. all of this to be in the original source material and the original source material the secret service comic book i kind of felt like i was an archaeologist 
not shoveling stuff, but like at the point where I'm brushing a fossil with my tiny little paintbrush because the pieces are so tiny. And I'm like, how did a Hollywood studio look at this comic book and say, this is the next blockbuster? Because there's so few pieces that are actually (laughs) here to work with. So I... It, it was interesting to read because, like, again, being a fan of the movies, I could say, like, okay, what worked better in the film? Is there anything that's working better in the comic? Is this a good comic? And I was kind of like, this comic is okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, it, it's not super compelling. Like, I'm so glad they made all these changes in the film that make it mm. a way more cohesive work. Like, there's a lot of, like, the whole gentleman aesthetic, for example, which is, like, the aesthetic and spiritual keystone of the Kingsman films is like (laughs) barely mentioned in issue five out of six in the comic book. And I'm like, thank God somebody looked at that and said, that's the interesting part. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have to say, um, I don't think I've read a Mark Millar comic that I thought was better than okay. So I guess it doesn't surprise (laughs) me. (laughs) And that's also the main reason I've never seen any of those movies because his name is attached to the the source material. But you're making a strong case for me to at least for me to at least try the movies, Kara. So I I really do love the first Kingsman film. And again, it's like if you like it, definitely watch the prequel because they they do some stuff there. Um, I will say my favorite part of the comic, the original comic, is that the bad guy is basically like a Mark Zuckerberg type that is dialed up to 11 because he's like basically wants to reset the planet so that the environment can come back or whatever. So it's like similar to the plot of the film. But in the film, they're kidnapping, they're kidnapping slash encouraging foreign like dignitaries and powerful world leaders to like join in this endeavor but in the comic mm-hmm. book this rich dude is just kidnapping tv and movie stars from his favorite nerdy franchises <laughs> okay so he's sure. like they're, so they're constant instead of talking about like the evil plan the bad guys are just constantly talking about did you get the original star trek cast yet how about red dwarf <laughs> i've got all the doctors wow. and it's like oh my god <laughs> So that as a comic book, I was like, you understand your audience. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Little fan service there, perhaps. So I did enjoy the fact that they, Mark Millar went out of his way to write the words like William Shatner's cool with it. (laughs) Like, it's like, let's just murder all these people. And all of these TV stars think we're nuts. But William Shatner is just viewing it as more of an intellectual (laughs) exercise. And I was like, he would. (laughs) I believe this. That's not surprising. (laughs) So this has been comic book adaptations with Kara. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So like I said, I I have avoided those movies, but you've made a strong case for me to at least check them out or at least not be as uh, uh, not be as suspicious of them. So we'll see. Uh, Maybe one day I'll watch them. That's all I could do, Paul. Well, thank you, Kara. Uh, I just have to get over my weird aversion to anything even remotely re- re, uh, related to James Bond. I just find the character in that franchise so boring that anything even remotely close, even if it's making fun of it, is kind of like uh, radioactive to me. But we'll see. Maybe I'll mature in my uh, my taste <laughs> as I get older. Um, oh, as for me, uh, I did a lot of reading of comics. Uh, we had a, a very um, a very March 
early April weather here in Michigan, which means it's wanted to be spring, but also also snowed one, randomly one afternoon. So a lot of opportunity just to stay inside, read comics. Yeah. Uh, noted Midwesterner Prince was right when he said sometimes it snows in April. You know, that's that's a true fact. Um, so I did read some comics while I was stuck inside. I did manage to read all of JLA Avengers. This is the 2004 blockbuster crossover miniseries written by Kurt Busiek with art by George Perez, colors by Tom Smith. It was been out of print for a long time and was recently rushed back into print by the Hero Initiative, uh, which is a what's we're looking for, a nonprofit organization that raises money for uh, comic creators who have legal or health um, uh, financial issues. And because of George Perez's, uh, you know, diagnosis of terminal cancer last year, they kind of put this back into print to raise some money for the organization. And as a nice gesture of thank you to Perez for his years of hard work in the comic industry. Uh, so I was lucky enough to grab a copy of this. They only made printed like 7,000 copies of it, uh, for various reasons, but, um, I'd never read it, so I'm glad I finally got my hands on a, a reprint. And it's basically what it says it's advertised. You know, it's it's the JLA, the Just League of America, teaming up and fighting against the Avengers. There's lots of cosmic superhero mumbo jumbo. You know, Metron shows up, Watu's there, Galactus, all these big characters. And, you know, I could summarize the plot, but really the main appeal is to see George Perez drawing like 200 characters on a double page spread, right? When you get to the page where you finally see Superman holding Captain American's shield and Thor's hammer ready to fight, that's what you paid money for. And George Perez nails it. Obviously, it's a beautiful looking comic. I'm so glad I was able to get a chance to read it. And hopefully they're able to get it back into print for more fans to pick up. It's a really lovely uh, tribute to George Perez and his artwork. So I had a lot of fun reading it. Very, very late 90s, early 2000s superhero comic book style. But I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff sometimes. So, I've heard of the Hero Initiative, but I didn't know yeah. that that's what it was. That's really cool. Yeah. And uh, I think Perez, they initially wanted to do this as a tribute to George Perez. And he said, and all the money they make from it, they could keep. He doesn't need the money. You know, he wanted to make a big donation. He was one Aww. of the first creators to jump mm-hmm. on board with them as an organization. So it's really touching. There was on one of the reasons they were only able to print so many copies is they had to make sure they could get it finished, printed in shops while George was still with us which is yeah. kind of sad to think about. But um, yeah. there's a lovely picture someone so- posted on social media of George actually looking at the finalized cover for the reprint. And it's, it's really touching. He has a big smile on his face. He's clearly moved by the, by the gesture. And again, if you're, if you're not familiar, George Perez is, he's up there with Kirby and Neil Adams in terms of influence on superhero comic book artwork. He's an absolute icon and a legend. So anytime you get to read some of his stuff, especially a big crossover event like this, it's a ton of fun. So yeah. Yeah. He- I really enjoyed reading that. Was, he basically was DC Comics in the 80s. Like, he did Wonder <laughs> Woman. He did Teen Titans. Like, if you read yep. a DC comic from that time, you probably drew it. Yeah. And, and like, uh, he's he worked for Marvel, too. He drew the first Infinity Gauntlet miniseries. So, you know, that Avengers movie that made a billion dollars, like, a lot of that was taken from George Perez's artwork on that miniseries. So, I mean, it's you cannot overstate his influence on pop culture in general. So, always great to see his stuff. And it's a really fun story, too. I mean, like I said, you get the classic superheroes meeting up. They don't trust each other, so they fight. Then they realize they have to work together. Uh, classic stuff. Very, very fun. Um, I also read Batman number 121. This is uh, about a month old at this point, but I'm very slowly making my way through my big stack of comics that, um, that I've picked up over the past few months. So I finally got a chance to read this one. 
It's the last issue of the Abyss storyline by Joshua Williams writing, um, Jorge Molina and Mikkel Janin on art, colors by Timo Moray and letters by Clayton Coles. Um, I really like this crossover or this little mini story arc here where Batman has to go overseas and to investigate a a murder mystery. There's a, a new character called Abyss who was found murdered. And guess who the suspects are, Kara? The members of Batman Incorporated. Oh Our old God. friends, El Gaucho, uh, Dark Ranger, uh, um, Man of Bats, they're all there. They have a mysterious new benefactor who's funding Batman Incorporated since Batman kind of, guess, forgot about them. And it turns oh out gosh. they're being funded by Lex by Lex Luthor. So Batman has to decide if he wants to team up with Lex or he's suspicious. It's really, really fun. A sort of neo-Silver Age type story. Uh, it's great to see those characters again because um, I recently reread the Black Glove story from Grant Morrison and J.H. Williams III, where we see the sort of Batman of all nations, the Club of Heroes show up. So get to see all these characters again was really fun. Um, and I really, really liked the sort of conclusion to this story where we get another classic Silver Age throwback. The epilogue to the story, we see that there is a new secret society supervillains being put together, being led by Deathstroke. So clearly Joshua Williams loves Silver Age DC, loves Silver Age Batman, and they're really leaning into this whole stuff. So in addition to that, I got to say, Jorge Molina's artwork is just lovely. Just, just lovely. Uh, very sort of painterly type of approach to the inks and some of the color work. It's a really beautiful looking comic. So it's nice to know that Batman comics are still good. Every once in a while, I kind of get burned out on Batman. But uh, man, this was a great story. I'm excited to uh, see what Josh Williams has next in store for that character. I'm just laughing because I don't normally read Batman comics because I'm always just like, Ugh. but he never changes. It's always the same. But, it, you know, that's that's a very cynical take on it. Because, mm -hmm. of course, when you have yeah. the same character for 80 plus years there's gonna be <laughs> mediocrity and repetition <laughs> of course yeah there's only so many things you can do with this character or is there i guess that's always the the, the debate we'll just keep um, recycling the silver age because that's where all the fun stuff was <laughs> yeah apparently apparently and there's you're going to get uh suckers like me who just love love that stuff we're always going to be excited to see el gaucho show up in a batman comic um <laughs> so yeah <laughs> That's what we read uh, this past week. And we've got new comics dropping uh, this week on April 13th. I'm curious what you guys are excited for. Uh, Kate, what do you have on top of your pile this week? Uh, I have a nonfiction book called Hakeem's Odyssey by Fabian Toulme. And actually, volume two releases this week. But this is the first time I'm hearing about the series. So I need to go back and read volume one. And um, I don't know a lot about this, but it, it's the story of uh, Syrian refugees. And volume one seems to be the journey from Syria to Turkey. And then volume two is Turkey to Greece. Okay. The art style seems a little bit more cartoony than I normally go for. Kind of more like a, a newsprint comic, maybe. But this is really mm -hmm. a story that I want to read. And I really, I really do take to like nonfiction in comics, even though I, I can't really pay attention to nonfiction in prose. Um, but, uh, I, I feel like this is an important story to tell because especially with the current events happening in Ukraine that are like overtaking all of our timelines, <laughs> um, it's, right. it's hard to remember that there are other humanitarian crises happening in the world. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's, I don't know, this is an important book to put out right now. For sure. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't heard yeah. of this. It sounds interesting. There was an editorial in the New York times this week that I see where they were going, but 
the headline was definitely like a, a just an attention grab because the picture that goes along with this editorial is of Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. The, the lead of this story of this opinion piece was basically Dear Kim Kardashian, please don't elope. We have too much to think about and you're like <laughs> pushing out the space in our brains cuz you know, apparently the the nebulous they have done uh research that we can only really pay attention to like three or four things happening in the world at a time. So whenever the mm-hmm. news cycle goes into some new atrocity, we like forget about the previous thing that's supposed to hold on to our attention. So, you know, like Kate was just saying, there's all this horrible stuff happening in Ukraine, but like horrible stuff is also happening in other places. And we just don't have the mental space to think about and be concerned about it all the time. So it's like, how do you kind of remember that there's not just this one thing happening at this moment? Right. Yeah. And yeah, that's I mean, yeah, I, and that's that's why I feel like books like this are important to like keep putting out, even if it's, mm-hmm. you know, last year's news kind of. Ugh, unfortunately yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm just waiting for the uh, well give me the comment adaptation of kim kardashian and pete davidson so i can focus on that right that's okay there was a kim kardashian comic though that came out <laughs> oh, no. like 10 years ago it and it's yeah. so bad <laughs> what i'm shocked i am shocked okay. well it was one of those i'm blanking on the publisher that publisher that was just putting out all of those really bad like celebrity biography comics right like they had right, everybody okay. from like Paula Dean, which was my favorite cover because she's just like rising out of a tub of butter on it. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> sure. So the so this publisher did a, a Kim Kardashian comic and I was just like, of course I read it and I was like, like all of your work, this is trash. Start paying actual creators to make actual good stuff and maybe we'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So anyone listening who wants to make a good Kim Kardashian adaptation comic, here's your chance. You have an it. audience built in right here. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about one more well series. Sure. <laughs> yes. yes. Um this this is a manga series called Happy Cafe and it's by Ku uh, Matsuzuki and this is actually an out of print series but I just I I have this whole story about how I got my hands on it recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. But first uh this is this uh Happy Cafe is a slice of life manga about this girl who gets a job at a bakery. And it's it's a little like cliche. She's you know she's small and energetic and outgoing, and then she has a crush on the baker who is tall and and brooding and has a secret soft side. Yes, um, but then the like the third coworker at the shop randomly falls asleep, and he has to be woken up by people just kind of stuffing food in his mouth, um, okay. <laughs> which is explained by tri- childhood trauma of being lonely. I don't know. Oh anyway. <laughs> no no so, you, you hit all my tropes already with he's energetic <laughs> and he's broody with a heart of gold yeah <laughs> um it is like just a fun low stakes read um and i i got my hands on volume one at my library and then i was able to request through volume three with the michigan interlibrary loan system and around one o'clock in the morning sometime last week i decided that i had to own as much of the series as i could find <laughs> 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 and I managed to 
find volumes one through eight for like a reasonable price on a used home goods website called Mercari that I found specifically okay. because I was looking for this book. Uh-huh. Um, and and this it arrived in the mail just a few days ago. And they're all like new, which is wonderful, except volume five, which I guess was hard to get a hold of for that original person. Mm-hmm. And the used copy came from my local library, but my order was shipped from Florida. So just a like, small world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was destined um, to be in your hands, Kate. That's all I can think I know. Think of. Perfect. <laughs> um, and if only my my library had just kept this series instead of selling it, I wouldn't have to have bought it. But here I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I, I read this originally because I rewatched a K-drama a couple months back called First Shop of Coffee Prints, where the plot is kind of kind of similar, where a, a girl works at a cafe with a bunch of guys and she falls for her boss. And like the manga doesn't have the same depth of the plot, you know, um, but it does mm-hmm. have the similar dynamic and it, and it fills my fulfills my need for something similar because I can only rewatch this K-drama so often, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times you could rewatch things that you like. But yeah, sometimes you need to. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I, I wasn't well, going to say it. Yeah, I'm in the middle of another Twin Peaks rewatch, so yeah, there's no <laughs> no amount of times you can rewatch something. All right, oh, uh, Kara, what about you? What are you excited for? What is on the top of your pile this week? So the top of my pile is first of all, shout out to Mike for sending our group chat a book talk. Uh, of recommendations of graphic novels to read because it uh, featured a book called Squad by Mackie Takuda Hall. And the pitch was basically, it's a teen girl friendship drama situation, but they're werewolves. And I was like, add to cart, <laughs> get it from my library immediately. <laughs> I don't need to know anything else. I'm here for it. Enough said. Remix, yeah. remix the girl gang. Let's do it. <laughs> So <laughs> that I will be reading. And then um, I guess a little more complex, but I am very curious to read Jeff Lemire's Moon Knight run. I have okay. been hearing great things about it. And I really liked the Moon Knight run that Warren Ellis and Declan Shalvey did a few years ago. But yeah. now allegedly Warren Ellis is garbage. So I would like yes, to find... Yeah an interpretation of the character that I don't have to associate with a man who allegedly was really shitty to women. So um, with the Moon Knight series out on, on Disney plus, I would like to dig in a little bit to different versions of the character in keeping with my unofficial adaptations theme. So I figure, (laughs) I figure Lemire's run is a good contemporary place to start. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, after watching the first two episodes of that adaptation, I'm I'm hesitant to start reading Moon Knight. I want to learn more about this character, but uh, again, where to start? That sounds like Jeff Lemire's one yeah. might be the place to go. I know a lot of people rave about that one. So agreed. Yeah, I need to uh, I need to read a little bit more about the character myself because I am watching the show and it's pretty good. Yeah, and I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, you know, it's he's basically Marvel's Batman, so of course I'm going to like it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it does have that, that feeling to it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like take from from what I understand, it's like they put Batman and Doctor Fate in a blender and slapped a Marvel logo on it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, that's enough for me. 
<laughs> uh, very quickly, I want to mention we have some people tuning in to listen to us live. They have some picks for this week. Uh, our friend Danny is going to be reading The Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country number one. And then our buddy Vincent has picked The Batman's Grave. Uh, that's a Batman comic I have not read, surprisingly. So um, let me have to pick that up as well. Um, my pick for this week, the top of my pile, is obviously The Ghost in You, the new Reckless book from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Um, for those of you who are not keeping score, uh, Brubaker and Phillips have basically switched from doing monthly comics to doing these hardcover, um, standalone graphic novels. Um, and uh, they've been focusing on this character named Ethan Reckless, who's basically, I don't know how to put it, a um, part private eye, part hired muscle. Anyone that's got a problem that they can't go to the police with, they can hire him to do their job for them. So it's this gritty, hard-boiled crime type stuff that Brubaker and Phillips are perfect at. This newest volume, The Ghost in You, is set in 1989, and Ethan Reckless is out of town. So his assistant, Anna, is following up on a case that leads her to a mansion where one of Hollywood's most infamous murders took place. I have to assume that's the Tate LaBianca murders, right? If you're going to be talking about murders in Hollywood in a mansion, you're probably talking about the Manson murders, but we'll see. Maybe they could surprise me. Um, I love these books so much. They're right in my wheelhouse. I love the sort of pulpy um, crime novels that Brubaker is clearly being influenced by. So, and again, Sean Phillips' artwork is always lovely. And these two guys just, they work together so well. Every one of these books has been great. So this is the fourth one they've been doing in this Reckless series. Of course, I'm going to buy it right away and be right on top of my pile. I feel like everything that we've been talking about on this episode, I just keep doing like little mental checklists of what I know about um, both of your <laughs> comic book reading preferences. Like everything yeah. Kate has been talking about, I'm like, little check mark. Checkmark, checkmark. Kate <laughs> likes it with Paul. I'm just like, is it pulpy? Is it Silver Age? Is it like, <laughs> just like ticking all yeah, these little boxes. <laughs> we clearly all have our preferred uh, aesthetic, and I think we're very much on brand for this episode. So that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I feel like I checked my own boxes for this episode, like nonfiction comics, LGBTYA, yeah. uh, manga. <laughs> little, little taste of everything. <laughs> perfect perfect so um should we take a short little break and then we come back we can kind of continue this conversation we have no topic today we're flying without a net much like the flying graysons unfortunately hopefully we end in a happier note than they did so we'll be right, right back <laughs> after a short break <laughs> sorry i'm sorry it's right there kara i had to do it Welcome back. Um, just want to give everyone a quick reminder that we do have another Discord hangout coming up very soon. That's going to be on April 23rd. That'll be at 8 o'clock Eastern time. So if you are curious in uh, hanging out and chatting with us, uh, be sure to set a reminder, mark it on your calendar. We'll all be here hanging out. Um, we're already running pretty long. I know the clock on the wall over here is telling me that we uh, got to wrap it up shortly, but I have a few things Maybe to kind of uh, talk about briefly before we uh, put this one to bed. Um, Kate, you were mentioning one of your picks for this week was a nonfiction comic about uh, the refugee crisis. Have you yeah. read Have you read Rolling Blackouts by Sarah Glidden? No. Is it a okay, similar this... topic? Yeah, yeah. It came out in 2016, and it's a nonfiction book, um, and it's specifically about the refugee crisis following the invasion of Iraq. 
and it focuses on Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. And what's interesting about the book is that Glidden is a cartoonist, and it's her going to these places with her friends that work for a nonprofit news organization. So a lot of it is about you know them talking about what caused this crisis, the fallout of the invasion of Iraq, but specifically how a news organiz- news organization can, or whether it's able, they're able to objectively talk about these topics. You know, can you do? What is the nature of journalism? So it's a really complex book, but it's like very simply illustrated. It's very straightforward. It's one of my favorite books that came out back in 2016. It seems right in that wheelhouse of what you were talking about with that other book. Yeah, I I just looked this up in my Goodreads and I do have it on my sure. to read list, but I'm glad that you reminded me about it so mm-hmm. I can actually like request it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I, like you were saying, I really find it somewhat easier to read nonfiction comics sometimes just because it's, you know, um, a little bit more straightforward. I think a better way of explaining things. And again, I think portraying information, specifically very complex information in both a written and visual aspect is almost better than just reading a news story or trying to read something nonfiction in general. So I'm always kind of looking out for uh, complex, difficult topics in nonfiction comics like that. Yeah, I, I, read some nonfiction pretty recently and I I kind of had a similar thought like I have a hard time keeping my mind focused on the content in a in a nonfiction prose book sometimes sometimes they do a really good job of making it a narrative and then sometimes it's just kind of like listing events um, and it's difficult for me to like keep paying attention when I it's hard to have like that movie in your mind while you're reading you know so yeah um, yeah so with comics, it's like they're providing the artwork for you. So it's just an extra, an extra way to like keep your attention. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a, it's a quicker read too. I find it a lot more engaging to stick with it, you know, and uh, finish the book that way. So yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, Kara, I had a question for you to yes. change the subject. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, yeah. we, we did that saga of saga series together on Patreon, and I was wondering if you're actually like keeping up with. Uh, the issues of Saga as they're coming out right now. There's more Saga. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, since we went through um, that experience of reading issues one through 50 and issue by issue and then re- like talking about the different chapters as an arc as opposed to the individual chapters, I learned that Saga for me is a story that works much better if you're reading it in chunks because with a month plus between chapters, it's really easy for me to kind of forget what happened before and have I seen this character before and what do I do with this new piece of information? So I am now going to be a trade waiter for yeah, Saga. I, yeah. I've been following it on Hoopla, um, but I I agree. I think that I'm going to end up rereading it um, per, with the trade once it all comes out. Also, the yeah. ep- the issue 50 ending, bad thing that happened. I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so much that I, you know, I, I will probably continue reading Saga at some point, but it is not high on my priority list because I'm just yeah. so mad at what happens that I'm like not quite ready to go go back there yet especially when you know there's so many other things that I also want to read like for example I'm staring at my 
embarrassingly overstocked library that's just full of books and comics <laughs> that I keep getting and not reading. Like, yeah. I think at least a year ago, if not two, Mike and a bunch of other people on the show were talking about how good the comic book Tetris is. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I bought that shit. Yeah. It's still on the top of my bookcase, like <laughs> has not been even looked at in like six months that I just saw it. And I'm like, God damn it. So if we're talking about like yeah. saga and these other things I want to read, so, like saga's gorgeous. It's a very well done story. The more they write, the more like rough patches there are in terms of content. Um, and I know there have been many points when people dropped out. It, like, I don't know. I just feel like Saga is kind of like the Game of Thrones TV series where it's like <laughs> you watch it or you very quickly get turned off by it. <laughs> so, and there's I feel like in Game of Thrones, there were a lot of points where people were just like, fuck this. And I feel like Saga yeah. is the same. You're like, I understand <laughs> that this is beautiful and intricate and parts of it are very good, but parts of it are also very bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, my the, not right now. Not right I now. I also grabbed Tetris, but I grabbed it at C two E two in early March of 2020 before the <laughs> pandemic shut down Oof. the country, Oof. and I haven't Oof. read it yet. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Kate, maybe you and I should just do Tetris book club and be like, anyways, we're very yeah. late this bandwagon, but we're here now. <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear that your thoughts on that book because that's a, one of those books that I I absolutely loved. I was already a big fan of Box Brown when that book came out, and it's even better than I expected. And I, that's again, I know Mike has sung the praise of, sung the praise of that book on this podcast many times. But even if you're not into nonfiction comics, uh, I think it's such a well done story, and it's so engaging and raises questions about the nature of games itself. It, it's a great book, a truly truly great book. So See, higher on the priority list than Saga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think I tapped out on Saga in the mid-30s. Um, I don't even know what it was that made me stop wanting to read it specifically, but I was just like, I think I'm done with this, and uh, I have yet to go back to, to continue it. So, I don't know, maybe one day. I think maybe it would be reading it in trade versus reading it in single issues would be the big, the big difference to make it more appealing. Deciding that you're done with something is, some, is just a very complicated concept <laughs> for me. I'm one of those people yeah. who's always been like, no, I started reading it, so I'm going to finish reading it. But I found <laughs> in the last few years in particular, I've been more likely to be like, I am not going to read this entire thing. This is not yeah. for me. This is not a use of my time that I want to continue with. I have that all the time when I'm going through previews each month where there's titles I've been reading for a long time or newer titles that I jumped on and have been enjoying. But at a certain time, it's like, I only have so much money in my bank account and I also <laughs> only have so much time to read comics. So it really becomes down to, do I really want to keep reading this or can I wait for the trade? You know, yeah. um, there are things I'm always going to be reading. I'm always going to be buying Batman probably and reading it but all the you know the tertiary batman family titles like do i need to pull all these right now so i feel like that's um that's a part of growing up as as blink One Eight Two once said i guess this is growing up as a comic <laughs> fan is learning when to tap out you and i are different people paul i would drop batman <laughs> in a hot second and keep what? going with the tertiary bat titles they're uh, yeah, way more interesting yeah. to me <laughs> well because batman ultimately he's got to stay the same so, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to come back to being a weirdo billionaire who hangs out in a cave. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, rereading again, you and I have been rereading a lot of Batman comics lately. Um, 
uh, specifically written by Grant Morrison. And uh, I was kind of like reading that stuff. And maybe it is kind of the similar thing where you revisit something that you think or you know that you enjoyed, but you somehow like have a new angle on it when you go back to it and you like it even more. And whenever I go like read Batman comics or even reread Batman comics, I just realize that so much of the appeal of the character is just inherently aesthetic. You know, the the bat suit looks cool. Him punching people looks cool. The Batmobile looks cool. And sometimes that's all I want from a comic book is that it looks cool. And Batman's always going to do that for me, no matter who's drawing it, really. Isn't that also your argument for Star Wars, Paul? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that's, yeah. <laughs> I, I could make the same argument for why I keep, why I rewatch Twin Peaks like once a year. It's because like, I like looking at it. You know what I mean? So um, there you go. Which I that's mean, a little insight about- into my taste. Well, I mean, we're talking about visual mediums, so you know, mm-hmm. I should hope that the aesthetics have something to do with your appreciation <laughs> for it. For sure. For sure. I mean, and again, this is a can of worms that maybe I shouldn't be opening right now, but uh, <laughs> I just re- remember sitting in the theater watching the Batman, this newest Batman movie, and there's moments in that movie where I was like, you know what? No Batman movie's ever gotten it right, but there are moments in that movie where just aesthetically just the way it looks like they finally did it this is what i want to see on a movie screen when i'm watching a batman movie so oh yeah yeah i haven't but, seen uh, it yet, we'll have to save no. i know we'll have to save the discussion for when it's after it starts streaming well yeah. i was just, i was just kind of looking at it and i was like three hours three hours <laughs> i'm gonna have to go to the bathroom at some point i just gotta wait till it <laughs> comes out when i'm at home i just want to sit <laughs> on my couch and have all my snacks yeah, yeah, this exactly. is gonna take a break in the middle movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that 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 was a giant red flag for me before I went to go see in the theater. I'm not a fan of movies that are usually that long, but I think they make the most use of that three hours. It really does fly by once you're engaged. So, um, oh, I th- totally said, believe that. I'm just like, man, yeah. it, it's going to be out on HBO next month. I'll just wait. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, the bathroom breaks are easier to do if you can pause it. So, I actually hadn't heard when it was going to hit streaming, so that's great to know. It's actually at this point, I think it's coming out like next week. Like it's real soon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't have to wait a whole month. I mean, like, yeah, I'm just I'm sure we will re- we'll, we'll have to reconvene at some point to share our thoughts. We can all scream about how great it was uh, here on the podcast. I know that's what the fans want to hear. So <laughs> all I know about it is that Tia dug up an amazing T-shirt for sale online somewhere where it's a picture of Robert Pattinson and it says Batman, but in the Twilight font. <laughs> <laughs> I have never it's been perfect. more delighted by a piece of merchandise related to Batman. It's so it was so bizarre. I remember so I saw it like a preview showing of it in the theater and everyone's there and all excited. And then I went to go see it about a week later and uh I sat down in my chair in the theater and the guy next to me, you know, he's trying to make small talk, but of course he's a guy my age, so he's like, Oh, I'm very curious to see what a Robert Pattinson is like as Batman. And I just turned to him and I said, He's great. I've already seen it and he's perfect. No, I don't understand yes. people's hang up of our pants. And the dude was a vampire, a guy that hangs out in the dark and broods <laughs> and can't go on the sunlight. That sounds like Batman to me. So he's training for it Thank the whole time. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you for getting it, Paul. <laughs> and as someone who has no knowledge of Twilight other than who's in it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's my endorsement. So thank you uh, for letting me mention Twin Peaks and Batman uh, on this. Mike's not here, so we can talk about all of our favorite stuff. Right. We're just continuing to go down your little checklist, Paul. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You even made a wrestling exactly. reference by saying tap out. 
<laughs> I know. I almost I almost went there. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. <laughs> We're gonna have a busy TV weekend next next week because we've got Batman on Tuesday and then we've got Heartstopper mm-hmm. on Friday. And I'm gonna go from <laughs> from Batman to a totally different genre two days later. Right. Of course. Yeah. We'll have to do, yeah, we'll have to do a follow up on the adaptation topic and just be like, so Kate, have your eyeballs burned out yet? How you doing over there, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so the spin-off podcast, We Watch Comic Adaptations, is going to be yes. coming very soon. Well, I guess we do that with the movie club a little bit, but this will be even deeper. Right, right. That one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we've been chatting for a while. It's always fun, but we only have so much tape, and Xander only has so much time to edit all this, so we should probably wrap it up. Start playing the uh, the uh, Academy Awards walk-off music, please, Xander, while we wrap up here. So, uh, Again, thank you both for uh, taking time to talk to me, talk to us today. It's always fun. Uh, next week, Mike is going to be back, and he'll be back with a vengeance. Brian and Nick will be here to keep him from exploding into a thousand suns, or not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're going to blow up the podcast. We'll see. <laughs> you can follow us all on Twitter. Kate is at Kate L Fear, right? Yep, that's right. And Kara is at Kara S Zam. I'm on there at Oh Hi Polly. The podcast is at IRCB Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter. Uh, there, obviously, Instagram and TikTok, where Renee is doing some amazing stuff on TikTok. Uh, I feel too old to be on TikTok, but I do follow us on there, and it's really fun. So, um, yeah, you can check us out on all those social media platforms there. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga, Saga, and more. You can find that at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yes, they do have ratings or wherever you listen to podcasts because we deserve it, you guys. Thank you. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Plus, you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week. Check the link in our Discord in the show notes. And also, thank you for everybody who listened this week. Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth. So why not tell your friends, family, and local comic shop about I Read Comic Books? Infinity Shred is the best band in the known universe, and they do all the music for our shows. Xander is a very cool guy who edits the show. He's the best uh thank you kate and kara for joining us thank you everybody hanging out in the discord thank you for listening to the show every week we really do appreciate it until next time comics are good and so are you you